1: This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show.
0: I died, I died and I came back, and nine times over the course of 90 minutes. At age 47, when you, when you have that experience, you ask yourself, you know, what is it that you're doing in your life? Why didn't you ask yourself before though? Like why did it Um, take going dying before you asked how you're living? What I knew before that was that you have a job, a career or a calling. There's really only three choices. When you have a calling, you have an anesthetic and you can just go and go and go and people look at you and say, how are you doing that? But there's an interior inspiration that's coming from this intrinsic need that's being met, whatever the need is. And when it actually gets turned off, all of a sudden you're lacking oxygen. But then one day, Brian Chesky from Airbnb came calling and he said, Do you know Airbnb? And I said, Aren't you just couch surfing? No, 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 no. It's not couch surfing. It's actually, we, we, and he told me what it was. I'm like, Oh, well, that's pretty impressive. And he brought me to the offices and I was impressed by that. And we had a couple of meals. And he said, I want you to be my mentor and I want you to help me. And really, what I want you to do more than anything, Chip, is to join us and be in charge of hospitality and strategy for the company. And I was like, I'm sort of retired. And he said, Wouldn't you like to democratize hospitality? And I like the idea of democratizing hospitality because the hotel business has become more and more corporate over time. But where he really got me, was like, there are hundreds of thousands of hosts in almost 200 countries who really need somebody to be the person out there to help them understand how to be an innkeeper.
1: Let's say I'm a listener and I'm sitting in my cubicle, listening to these guys talking, and I'm thinking to myself, well, A, I'm unhappy working in this cubicle. B, I have a bunch of kids, so it's not like I'm moving around from Airbnb to Airbnb. What's relevant to me here? Like, let's say you're sitting in a cubicle and you're trying to figure out what to do. So, Chip, I can't believe you're sitting in my Airbnb right now.
0: I am, and I'm actually staying right below you.
1: Which is, which, first off, let me just describe who you are. You're the the head of hospitality for all of Airbnb. Yeah. You're like, right, you, you report to Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb. That's right. And you're, you're... I'm not going to – I don't want to step on any toes, but essentially you transformed Airbnb from a technology company to, as you put it, a hospitality company.
0: Well, yes. I've, I've been helping the founders do that. So That's why I, I didn't want to step on any and toes. And the team. So. Yeah, no, I'm, but I am the only hospitality person who came there. I'm, I'm the, the, the one hotelier in the crowd there.
1: So so obviously I love the Airbnb aspect. I've stated nothing but Airbnbs pro- probably since Airbnb started, but um, – what really got me interested is you've also totally reinvented your career. You were a hotel guy. You were the enemy for, <laughs> for how many years?
0: I, I, 30 years as of now. I started a boutique hotel company called Joie de Vivre um, when I was 26 years old in San Francisco and created 52 boutique hotels over 24 years and then sold it to the Pritzkers uh, who started Hyatt.
1: Okay, so so let me ask you a couple questions. So, What are some of the hotels?
0: Um, in San Francisco, the Hotel Vitale uh, down in Big Sur, the Ventana Inn, sort of famous place. Um, the Phoenix. My first hotel was the Rock and Roll Hotel in the Tenderloin in San Francisco where all the funky bands stay called the Phoenix. But um, What about in New York? Any, nothing say? in New York. I had 52 hotels, all of them in California, huh. if you can believe that. I'm, yes, a very West Coast-centric guy. So uh,
1: I actually considered... This is back in my college days. I considered majoring in hotel management because I've always loved hotels. Really? And even when I first moved to New York City, I lived in a hotel. I lived in the Chelsea, Chelsea. Hotel. Chelsea. Oh my God,
0: you did? Really? Yeah.
1: Love it. So I lived there for three years <coughs> in the 90s and then for about a year or so in the O's, and then on and off through all the OOs. But, um, and I've stayed in hundreds of hotels around the city because I used to do, before there was an Airbnb, I used to do hotel hopping around the city. But what's the key, you think, that bad hotels forget and good hotels remember
0: that at the end of the day, it's all personalization. You you just, you want to, a great hotel or a great Airbnb listing gives you the sense as a guest that this place was made for me. The way that I would do that with Joie de Vivre is every time we created a boutique hotel, we created 52 of them. We imagine a magazine or maybe two magazines that define the personality or soul of the hotel. So the first hotel was the Phoenix, based upon Rolling Stone. Mm. We said, okay, this is going to be a banned hotel. So what are the five adjectives that define Rolling Stone? Funky, irreverent, adventurous, cool, and young at heart. And everything we did in crafting that first hotel to the design of the guest rooms, to the kind of staff we hired, to what uniforms they wore or didn't, didn't wear if they're irreverent and funky, to the restaurant and bar we created, all had to come back to those five adjectives.
1: And was it from the top down in the sense mm-hmm. that like your second in command knew those five adjectives, and then the people working for him knew it.
0: Everybody, the whole the, the housekeeping staff knew it. The housekeeping staff literally helped craft things we could do in the hotel that fit the adjectives. So yes, it was a team of about eight or ten of us who would sit in a room with uh, you know a couple glasses of wine and uh, like twenty five magazines on a table, and we'd pick out the adjectives and then the magazine. But ultimately, it was the designer in the room, even our investors in the room, who would say, yes, this is what it is. What was beautiful and the thing that I think a a great hotel does is it creates what I call an identity refreshment. So you go stay – we're staying right next door to the Crosby Street Hotel here in, in, in New York, a beautiful hotel. If you stay in a beautiful hotel that has five adjectives that define it, You may feel that those five adjectives apply to you. So, for example, in San Francisco, I have a hotel called the Hotel Vitali. It's on the waterfront, luxury hotel, across the street from the Ferry Building. It was Dwell Magazine meets Real Simple Magazine. The five adjectives were modern, urbane, fresh, natural, and nurturing. And the people who fell in love with that hotel were people who thought of themselves aspirationally as modern, urbane, fresh, natural, and nurturing. And the best experience you could have there is when you could say, after three or four days staying there, I feel that those words dis- define me a little bit better. So, for example, we had a yoga studio on the penthouse level. I did free yoga classes every day it, with a view of the bay and, and of, of um, uh, the ferry building. So long story short is I think great hotels are, uh, great hotel managers are psychologists first and foremost – so they can really psych- psychologically understand how do you create comfort for people on the road, but if it's only comfort alone, then you've become Marriott. Hmm. It's also how do you create experience, and the experience needs to tap into almost Maslow's hierarchy of needs of the self-actualizing needs higher up the pyramid.
1: Which, by the way, goes off your first book, uh, Peak, yeah, right? Done, how yeah. companies uh, use Maslow to... Yeah, uh, yeah. So so that, that actually is an interesting concept that... Um, Marriott, you would say, is lower. It provides shelter. Maybe it's the base maybe, of the pyramid, or, or well, maybe highway motels are the base of the pyramid. The shelter, yeah. And then there's kind of like little extra comforts and things like that. And then you're you're really tuning into people's identity and, and the
0: transformational needs. So I actually like to take, think of Maslow's five level pyramid of hierarchy of needs and turn it into three simple. It's basically the paradigm of life. There's survival needs, there's success needs, and there's transformation needs. And, um, most hotels and motels are sort of like barely above survival need. And, and frankly, the way they even organize themselves as having brand standards, it's sort of like the base of the pyramid: safety and physiological needs. The better hotels will get their success, success needs, right? Which means they make you feel like you're a VIP or they give you a social environment. Uh, Ian Schrager did that very well with his boutique hotels in terms of creating an environment where the bar was sort of the social need. But the best hotels are the ones that actually sort of give you the sense of, like, this hotel is made for me. And it's a self-actualizing, transformational need. And well, What was the chain that Pritzkers owned uh, before Hyatt? Yeah, they still own Hyatt. Yeah. So did they merge your hotels with Hyatt? Nope, nope. Actually, John Pritzker, who's the son of the founder of Hyatt, bought my company independently of Hyatt. So it's not actually part of Hyatt. It was just his own investment. And can you say how much you sold for? No. <laughs> private transactions. No, no. Private transactions. But I still actually do own so I still own hotels. I mean I, I, I own I sold the management company and the brand, but I still own about 14 hotels the real estate. And and but you know, now I'm an Airbnb executive. So I have I, I have what they call cognitive dissonance. Two competing ideas in my head at the same time, which means that I am both a hotelier and uh, you know a leader at Airbnb. But I actually don't think that Airbnb and hotels have to be necessarily uh, in, in a um, death match or a zero-sum game because actually you stay in a lot of Airbnbs, James. So, right. But you tend to stay for extended periods of time, correct? Right. You would never want to stay for three weeks or three months at a time in a Hilton or, or frankly even most boutique, boutique hotels. Right. So the average length of stay for our Airbnb travelers in almost every city in the world is more than twice as long as a hotel. Average traveler for Airbnb business travelers is three times as long for, uh, as compared to business hotels. So generally, we get people who fit the digital nomad profile a little bit, which means they're staying a longer time. So why not have more space, less money, kitchen, et cetera? And that's that. That's part of our, our value proposition. And the thing that I think the world hasn't even figured out yet is there are more and more digital nomads like you who have said, I actually don't need a home. I don't need to buy a home. I don't need to rent Ever. a place. I can just be on the road most of the time as long as there's a platform that gives me that freedom and that trust, because the trust is key. Well, because
1: I think you know, there's two extremes. Airbnb hits the middle, but there's two extremes. There's the the overnight stay, which Airbnb hasn't quite... Mastered. In fact, most hosts don't even offer just one night. It's like a minimum stay. To, yeah. And you haven't um, really gotten into the year long stay. You're right. kind of starting right. to get into the month long stays. I mean, you haven't for a while. There's, right. there's a monthly rate instead of a daily rate. But um, it would be interesting if you really kind of uh, broke into the Trulia space and offered rentals.
0: Maybe. I mean, I think are, the best way for me to describe, I think, where our sweet spot is, is um, we could really basically own the month to three month space of the world. Mm-hmm. People who need to stay in a place for a month to three months. It's too long for a hotel. It's too short for a traditional uh, you know, annual rent, you know, like, uh, lease, lease that you might do <clears throat> for residential. And nobody really owns that space. So that could be our, our, our preference. So from there, we could do things shorter and longer. But that should be our our core competency because, quite frankly, nobody owns that space. I mean, Oakwood Apartments does sort of crazy, you know, very generic corporate apartments that are yeah. usually, usually in suburban locations. So, it's, yeah, I don't even know what it is. Yeah, so that's fine. It's not. It's not if it's not on your radar, that's a, that's a sign that they're in trouble. Now,
1: I do want to ask all about Airbnb, but really, the interesting thing to me is you made this jump, this reinvention. Like, why did you decide to suddenly sell your hotels and yeah. then? A, why did you decide to sell your hotels and, and, and I guess to, to cash out to some extent, but mm-hmm. you were enjoying it, I'm assuming, and making money. And then why did you decide to essentially work at Airbnb? How, how old are you? I'm 55. So you're 55. You've been there three years since you're 52. Why didn't you just, uh, you know, surf, fish? Surf <laughs> yeah. in Baja,
0: which is, I, I do have a house in Baja and I do I'm learning Spanish and surfing at age 55. I love it. Um, well, to be honest with you, at age 47, I went flatline on stage. I had been running my company for 22 years. I was giving a speech. I had a septic leg from a um, an injury I had that I didn't realize was septic. And um, at the end of the speech in St. Louis, I literally went flatline. And- um, Meaning you died? I died. I died and I came back. And nine times over the course of 90 minutes. Um, and Did you keep getting up and trying to finish your speech? Like what happened? <laughs> I actually had to it. Fortunately, I was sitting in a chair and signing, signing some of my books and <laughs> This woman said to me, You look awfully white. And I immediately went flatline. Or actually, I immediately went unconscious. And it was five minutes later that I went flatline just as the paramedics arrived. So I was lucky. That experience reminded me that. Why did you go flatline? So I had a, I had a, um, a septic leg from a, from a leg injury, and they'd given me antibiotics that I was allergic to.
1: So did your heart stop? Like, My what does it stopped. mean, flatline? Yeah. Like your they brain.
0: Call it asystolic. Your brain doesn't stop, but you know your heart stops, mm-hmm. and then at some point you don't blood you don't have blood going to the brain. So mm-hmm. Fortunately, um, they they kept being able to like do like paddles on me to bring me back. Mm-hmm. But um, it was probably a, a allergic reaction to the antibiotic. But at age forty seven, when you when you have that experience, you ask yourself, you know, what is it that you're doing in your life?
1: Why didn't you're you ask 48. Yourself, how old are you? I'm 48. So prepared. you. Guys, so
0: this is very. Okay, you're fine. Why didn't you ask you yourself healthy, before? You look healthy. Me right now.
1: Why didn't you ask yourself before though? Like why did it take going um, dying before you asked like, how you're living? Well, that's how you're a living? good
0: question to ask yourself. I mean, we sometimes we ask big and gnarly questions, like Viktor Frankl did it in sure. a concentration camp with Mar- Man Search for Meaning. He asked some important questions before that, but you're in a concentration camp. You're going to ask even bigger and deeper questions. I think I, had, I what I knew before that was that you have a job, a career, or a calling. There's really only three choices. And I loved starting Joie de Vie. I called it, you know, how many people call their company the mission of the company, which is to create joy of life for people. But it's a really impractical name. Um, hard to pronounce, hard to spell. Most people don't, in the U.S. don't know what it means, joy of life. But I felt for 20 years it was my joy of life. By the time I had my flatline experience, it had become a job. It was a calling that had become a job. So you hadn't yet sold the but hotels. I hadn't sold the hotels. I was sort of clear, like, okay, I like this deal, but I like writing books. I like giving speeches. I want to have some freedom in my life. I, you know, I started a company You know, with a motel in a bad neighborhood and created 52 hotels, 3,500 employees. And now I felt like I was mama and papa bear for all these folks. And I, I lost all the creativity and inspiration. And so I was in a place where I just like, I don't like this anymore. And one of my best friends who also has the name Chip, oddly, he was my insurance broker too, committed suicide. That happened um, just before I had my flatline experience. So long story short is I got to a place in August 2008 as the recession was just going into its major fall where I could realize I don't want to do this anymore. And it took me over a year and a half to actually get to a place where I sold the business. And I sold it at the bottom of the market, so it wasn't like the best time to sell. But I knew my life my, my life was dependent on it. And I knew that something else would come up, which brings me to Airbnb. So Why did
1: you know something else would come up?
0: I had faith. I had this basic belief that I've learned a lot in the 24 years that I ran that company, my company. Um, and... That waiting around for the market to turn around and not and being miserable every day when I knew like when you have a calling that becomes a job it's like they turned off the anesthetic they had, when you have a calling you have an anesthetic and you can just go and go and go and people look at you and say how are you doing that but you just you're just you're there's an in, an interior inspiration that's coming from this intrinsic need that's being met whatever the need is um, and when it actually gets turned off. All of a sudden, you're lacking oxygen or you're just – and for me, it was like I don't want to do this anymore. So I I said that. I just had this belief that I learned a lot. I'm not sure how I'm going to apply it yet. I know I like writing books. I had just written my third book at that point, and I was like, okay, I like writing books. I I get paid well to go give speeches. Maybe that's just what I'll do. Um, I decided to create this festival website called Fest 300 uh, because I'm on the Burning Man board, and I think festivals are an interesting – proposition that the more digital we get the more ritual we need but then one day Brian Chesky from Airbnb came calling and he said listen do you know Airbnb and I said this is early 2013 so I was not an early adopter like you he said do you know Airbnb and I said aren't you just couch surfing isn't that like a couch surfing thing no 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 it's not couch surfing it's actually we we," and he told me what it was like oh that's pretty impressive and he brought me to the offices and I was impressed by that and we had a couple meals and he said I want you to be my mentor and I want you to help me and really what I want you to do more than anything, Chip, is to join us and be in charge of hospitality and strategy for the company. I was like, I'm sort of retired. I sold my company a couple of years ago. I found my calling, which is to just go give speeches and write books and go to festivals. And he said, wouldn't you like to democratize hospitality? And I said, wow. This is like that John Scully, Steve Jobs moment when Steve Jobs said, do you want to sell sugar water the rest of your life? Um, and I like the idea of democratizing hospitality because the hotel business has become more and more corporate over time. But where he really got me it was like there are hundreds of thousands of hosts in almost 200 countries who really need somebody to be the person out there to help them understand how to be an innkeeper and how to create an experience that's better in the, than a hotel. And when I joined, you know, our guest satisfaction scores were okay. But what I'm really proud of is three and a half years later, um, our guest satisfaction scores are now 50% higher than the global hotel chains. And it's partly because of feedback loop. Do you have have a minute? Can I say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, you you look interested, so I'm going to keep talking. Yeah. So the feedback loop. Hotel, hotel. Look, this
1: is a pleasure, pure pleasure for oh me. Oh my God. I'm such an. is your video? biggest customer? <laughs>
0: yeah, I know. And, and I'm just like a four below you here. like, And you know, our host introduced us just yeah. last night. So um, the hotel industry is old school. The feedback loop, how many of you have actually stayed in a hotel and you get an online guest satisfaction survey and you don't fill it out? Well, five to eight percent of guests fill it out. So they don't get a lot of feedback. The hotel companies, Marriott, Hilton, etc. When they do get the feedback, and it comes to their corporate headquarters, sometimes they send it to the general manager at the hotel. They usually do, but a lot of some hotel companies are not even figuring that piece out. So the leader of the hotel doesn't even know. But what about the housekeeper or the front desk uh, host? I call them hosts, but a lot of hotel companies call them clerks, or the bartender or the night auditor who's like on the desk at two in the morning. What key feedback do they get? Well, they get almost nothing. They might get a monthly report that says, here are our scores. They get nothing specific to themselves. And the average employee in a hotel stays nine months in their job. Hmm. But most companies do performance review on your one-year anniversary. Do the math, which means most people never get any performance review unless they did something wrong and
1: they get cut. Why do employees stay so short? You know, small at a
0: hotel because generally the hotel industry is not very good at treating their hotel people well, and it's sort of an entry level job in terms of the pay scale and 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 generally speaking, people are looking for a way to actually sort of ride you know you know climb the ladder uh, in whatever company they can go to. So they they tend there's there it's to be honest with you, the way you treat your employees is the way they'll treat you. So when I had my company, we had four times the length of stay like the. Uh, Duration of people staying in the company.
1: You think that's because again you were hitting their um, needs. Yeah, because these Maslow's.
0: Yeah, my book "Peak: How Great Companies Get Their Mojo" from Maslow really spoke to the idea. First and foremost, you have to get an employee pyramid right, and then the customer pyramid, and then the investor pyramid. Employee
1: pyramid in terms of getting their needs (coughs) satisfied. Yeah,
0: yeah. What are their survival needs or success? So it's like money, recognition, and meaning.
1: I feel like this applies to to well, obviously, according to Maslow, this applies to anything. Yeah. So um, in, in what, what did you say? It was job, calling, career, or job, career, calling?
0: Job, career, calling. Think of it as a pyramid.
1: So it seems like with all of those, I want to figure out what my five adjectives are and yeah. apply them to my job, my career, and my calling. Yeah. And so what if, like, like you obviously found your calling fairly early on. You were in your 20s when you started your first motel and you loved mm-hmm. it and, and so on. How do you think someone can find their calling?
0: Well, first of all, ask yourself what it was. What was it? in childhood that you did where you lost a sense of time hmm. or, a sen- or even lost a sense of just like traditional rational thinking. Um, I have a friend who became a, a lawyer and she later in her life, like in her late thirties became a pastry chef. And the thing she said to me that was just so right on is she said when she was six years old, she would make mud pies out in the, like out in their family's backyard and she'd just sort of create these pies out of mud. And, you know, and she'd make like little little, um, sort of, I don't know, little, little dressing, little uh, fashionable things on the top of each of the cakes or the pies. And here she is 20, uh, thirty-four years later, um, 33 years later, actually, now she's a pastry chef. She's a famous pastry chef. So, And she was an attorney in between. And she realized at some point, that there was a her father was an attorney. What's trade. her name? I feel like I might have interviewed her actually. Sarah, Sarah, uh, Sarah Buchall. Um, uh. But she, so bottom line is people actually, at a young age, know what they naturally gravitate to. And um, so what happened schooling then? Yeah, schooling, you know, listen to Sir Ken Robinson. listen to anybody who will tell you about the fact that schooling has a tendency to twist and, and, and drain all of that creativity from you. And most importantly, Oscar Wilde said, be yourself as everyone everyone else is taken. And I think that point of view when it comes to humans, especially young humans, um, who have certain talents that are sort of innate or something that they have either, you know, they've gotten from them, their family or they've gotten just through divine inspiration... Um, that is the key: is that people need to go back to what it was. It may take a while to get there um, because you may have like loaded yourself up with way too much traditional college BS. Yeah, how do you
1: program? How do you deprogram yourself?
0: I, I think, to be honest with you, if you have family, friends, family and friends that you grew up with, and you actually have a conversation, you could actually. I, I had a really beautiful conversation once with um, a. Uh, high school friend of mine who really I grew up with. So I've known him since I was six or seven years old. And we both needed to deprogram de- ourselves. We didn't say, that was not the language. We were just like sitting and talking. And he was doing something he didn't like. I was do- I was trying to figure out myself from childhood. And this was like in my late twenties when I'd already started the company, but I was still figuring out, okay, what am I supposed to do? He helped me see myself at age six, eight or 10 or 12 like, I couldn't remember myself. You know, you remember yourself, but it's like there's a different point of view that other people say. And he said, Chip, you you don't even remember that you started a restaurant in your family dining room. Like, you created, like, this, like, restaurant that was open one day a week, and people could come there, and you would create those ice cream sundaes, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, God, I didn't even remember that. And my family probably didn't even remember it because my mom hated it that I was doing that. And um, so it... I hadn't thought about that since he t- mentioned that, and this is literally when I was creating my second restaurant in one of my hotels. Like, oh, I guess I have a restaurateur in me from way back then.
1: It, it's so true. Like I always tell people, list all the things you were interested in when you were ten years old, because yeah. even if you don't want to do something that you did when you were ten, somehow it aged into something you you could potentially be interested in. Oh
0: yeah, oh yeah, and 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 I think just I think th- those. Qu- so going back to those sort of early childhood qualities, um, but also going back to even co- in college, what are the things that just gave you the timeless sense of awareness? I mean, Abe Maslow talked about peak experiences. Like a peak experience is is when a peak experience is when you lose track of time, you almost lose track of yourself, and you feel at one with something else what are the things in life that, that do that for you? And you know, I'm staring, staring at this strange cage you have. this stripper cage in this, this stripper Airbnb cage in this Airbnb <laughs> and it's like, okay, I'm sure that could be a peak experience for someone. But, um,
1: Some little girl always wanted to yes, be I, in that cage.
0: Who knows, we're not even gonna talk about that. But um, what I think is that just, when you can sort of get clear on, for some people it's in nature. The other thing I think is finding the places that give you the inspiration. So serendipity is like this thing that taps you on the shoulder when you're ready for it. And uh, for me, I've always known that my best ideas, if I'm writing a book or if I'm thinking and have to have big thoughts, are near water. So for me, for me whether it's taking a bath, taking a shower, uh, having a cottage near the beach where I'm writing my book, um, going running on the beach with my dog, these are the things I do when I'm you know, creatively needing inspiration. So figuring that out for yourself Not just going back to childhood, but actually saying in adulthood, what are the times when I feel most in a space where I can have interesting things channeling through me or can somehow find the conduit that actually allows, as Liz Gilbert talked about in her TED talk, the genie to come through me. Her point of view was genius just means that the genie knows Mm. how to to enter you Mm. and come through you. And I, I'm a big believer in that. But you actually then have to figure out what's the habitat for that. I want to come back to the to the, the, the feedback loop, though, for one second, because I didn't finish yes. my story. And I realized you heard the hotel site, which is pathetic, which is that hotels don't have a feedback loop. The thing that the Airbnb founders did way before I got there um, is they created an ability for hosts and guests to review each other. It wasn't very good. It was a little problematic in that as a, as a guest – if you reviewed your host and you had a bad experience, you had 30 days to give the review. and But the host could review you. And if four days into it, you give a bad review to the host, guess what? The host may review you badly. So that we had to fix that. So basically, one of the things we changed was the feedback loop such that you have only 14 days to do a review. You can't use 30 days. And what was happening – that's in, a
1: recent change, right? It's past two years. It was about two years year. ago.
0: Exactly. It was two years ago. You, that's impressive good job two years ago I remember when it changed
1: and I said this is good yeah I know
0: what it did we we took it to 14 days and we said you have 14 days if you don't review in 14 days you don't get to review and once you do your review it does not get published until the other person has their chance to do theirs but they won't see yours you don't get to see each other's reviews it's a little bit scary it is a little scary because you don't know how you know but but a, a review shouldn't be a retribution opportunity. It should be genuinely yeah. can. So what happened is we moved in terms of the percentage of people who actually review do reviews up like five to ten points from sixty five to seventy to seventy five percent of hosts and re- guests review each other. So if in the hotel business it's five to eight percent, and then some people at the hotel never even see it, but in the uh, the Airbnb world it's. 70 to 75% of guests and hosts review each other, and it comes immediately within 14 days. And the person who's reading it, especially in a host case, has the ability to then implement any suggestions they're getting. And a guest has the ability to give private feedback, both to the host as well as to Airbnb. So the whole process has created a feedback loop that makes for a system that's constantly cleansing itself and making itself better.
1: Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldiger, would you like to apply to be VP of en- Entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because of a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. There's another phenomenon that I've noticed that's interesting about Airbnb, but I just realized 1% battery. uh, Okay, now I'm on. Okay. So um, there was one situation I had with Airbnb, which I thought was kind of funny, where I booked a place and then it turned out to be an obvious scam. Like it was in one part, like it advertised to be in one part of town in this 4,000 square foot apartment, and it was in a completely different part of town in another apartment. But money had already transferred through the system. Through the system. And oh, he wow. refused to, when I personally reached out to him in a message through Airbnb, um, he refused to refund the money. He said, You booked it. I didn't rep- misrepresent because it was weird how it was worded. So it was confusing. Mm-hmm. And I said, Let's get a, a mediator on the phone. Right. And so we got, we, this was great. We got a mediator who came right on. Um, mm-hmm. I forgot how we did it. It was like we called some number or yeah. we dialed someone in. And suddenly I realized something really interesting. We were both scared to death (laughs) because Airbnb, if we, if, if either of us mess up on this conversation, maybe we're banned.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's worthy of being a little scared about.
1: So, so both like, right. As soon as the guy's on the phone, a pleasant guy, he's like, Hey, how can I help you? And he was like, Oh no, no, no problem. Hey, how about we just, I'll refund the money. We just call it quits. And good for you. Yeah. And and he, and he said, don't leave a review. And I'm like, I promise I won't leave a review. We're just good. It's all good. Yeah. So, and
0: so, so, so here's the thing that's a little scary for us. First well, of all, well,
1: there's a danger of monopoly.
0: Oh, wait, wait, I yeah, for us in terms of yeah. in terms of that we have a monopoly. Yeah. Okay. I
1: mean, that's scary to me.
0: Okay. Exactly. <laughs> okay. That's not scary to us, but that's scary to you. But I understand that. But I actually, what's scary to me is that that guy would then resolve it so quickly. The key for us then is to understand that as a data point. This is a guy who we have to keep an eye on because we may need to actually have him off the platform. Because if, if he's actually um, playing a game with you, who else has he played a game with? And, well, and how often do we hear? I mean, a lot of people don't talk about their bad experience.
1: See, but I've had I've had other experiences where it is too difficult to get the mediator involved, right, right. and I just, I, I've just lost money the in accurate, the transaction, yes, right, but right. I kind of factored that into my yearly Airbnb expense, yeah. that there's going to be some lost Right. money and maybe hosts do that as well.
0: Well, the key thing is for us has been, you know, when I joined so we're, we are called what what is called a global network effects business. So a network effects business is like Facebook. The Facebook is only as good as how many people are actually using right. it. The more people are using it, the more it gets to a monopoly status as you were saying. Um, which isn't bad
1: because then it's more useful like that, I want one place to go that's right as, la- as
0: long tricks. as then we don't sort of like beat you over the head f- yeah. financially in that monopoly status so um, so we are so Uber or Lyft would be a n- local network effects business so in certain markets Lyft may actually have more drivers on the streets than Uber and in that, that market it starts to get a foothold well we're a global as opposed to a local network effects business, which is hard. And when I joined three and a half years ago, it was all about quantity. We need as many hosts as possible in as many places as possible. So when you are traveling, you could feel like there is what what's called liquidity in the system, which is um, um, a marketplace of hosts and guests, actually, and that was all key. But what was really important, and I and I think that the the founders knew this, but there was a moment in time where we just said, this is the time we had to move from quantity to quality. And what I mean by that is, at some point, you realize that if you're going to be a brand and you're going to have a promise about what you're offering, you have enough dots on the map and network effect such that you start taking bad hosts off the platform. Because if you create a quality experience so that people are having a good experience on the platform, that leads to more quantity. Because It's, it's yeah. so interesting because I think, I
1: mean, I would say... 2012 to tw- early 2013 right when you kind of started at the company or you started around
0: mid 2013 I said uh, April 2013
1: Yeah w- it's funny because probably around January February 2013 I was having some maybe not always the most positive experiences there was always usually we we kind of called it the the one problem effect like yeah. there would always in every place there would be one problem mm-hmm. and but now I don't have that mm-hmm. so so I think and and I've noticed the you're right like now, even small towns, not just cities, have a sufficient Airbnb that there's liquidity. Mm-hmm. Because, and I think it's it's they're all connected. Qua- it's an interesting thing. Quantity is definitely related to quality. It's not an either-or. Yeah, I think... They're, they're, it's not, Usually people think you have to sacrifice one to get the other. In fact, you have to have both to get the either.
0: When you get to a certain size, you, just, you do have to sort of accept that quality is what will continue it going. Because you know, if people have a great experience, what's happened is Airbnb has gotten pretty good at this. And so... People have a good experience, and therefore they come back to the platform as a guest and say, "I'm going to do it again," and that creates demand. If there's demand, that helps you. If you have a, a you know five homes in Florida that you're going to actually be renting out, you say, "Well, Airbnb brings me the business. I don't get it from HomeAway or from Booking.com or from whomever one finds a stay." And therefore, our quality standards means guests come more often, which means that hosts have more business coming to them. And, but you know, to get to be a global network effects business in 191 countries is hard. And a lot of that hard work was done by the founders before I ever got there. But I think what I've helped with is how do you focus on the quality in such a way, whether it's through the review system we talked about or through um, sta- hospitality standards, which didn't exist before I got there, um, you know, in a way that people can sort of say, okay, it's a trusted platform. And I actually feel like, well, the standard deviation is going to be greater, just like I'm a boutique hotelier. Um, If you want to have a bland, predictable experience, stay at Holiday Inn. But if you want to have an experience that might be one of the best of your life, stay in a boutique hotel or stay at Airbnb because you're likely to have an amazing experience. But you might have your worst experience in a boutique hotel or on Airbnb as well Partly because there's just a greater standard deviation. Sure. The thing we have to do over time, and we are doing now, which is beautiful and I'm, as a tech company and a non-tech person, I'm fascinated by this, is how do we over, over time understand you, James, and your profile for what you like and what you don't like in such a way that we serve up to you and curate your choices. If you're going to Paris, and we have 90,000 homes in Paris now, How do we actually say, here's the 12 that are right for you? And over time, what we'll be doing and announcing in November is more and more, how do we find experiences for you in Paris that are right for your taste of what you like doing?
1: Well, you know, uh, I was going to, so about two years ago, I I sent you this article. About two years ago, I wrote an article 10 Ways I yep. Would Improve Airbnb. Yep. Can I ask you questions about each thing? Sure. Or, uh, oh, my um,
0: gosh. We we're talking forever. Who's still listening? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's uh, it's all good. I'm selfish. Maybe I'm the only listener. <laughs> um, let me see if I still have it up here. Um, That's it right there, right? I, uh where is it? Oh, I, I, uh, I searched for it. I'll search for it. There's a Quora. Yeah. Here we go. Okay. First suggestion, Airbnb tonight. So I arrive in the city. I can't get a hotel room. Obama's in town. The (laughs) UN's open, whatever. I just want to click Airbnb tonight. You know roughly what I like. Yeah. And it books me in a room right then. So,
0: we are sort of moving in that direction by doing instant book. So, instant book means literally you don't have to have a back and forth with the host. You can actually get immediately a place and and know that it's it's approved. Can I filter on Instabook? Like, can I search on Instabook? Yeah, you can. Okay. You can search on Instabook. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, you're getting there. Yeah. Uh, this wasn't
1: so important. Consistent check in and check out. I you know just like a hotel, eleven thirty yeah. every day, four thirty. But I'm fine working it out with the. It's still back backup. I think now. the
0: flexibility is sort of nice. Yeah, I think the fact that you know hotels have a rigidity around their check-in and check-out is not what we want. Um, but I think you know if the. Let me be clear about this. The more efficient your travel needs are, and what you need from the place you're staying, the more a hotel is right for you.
1: Right. So. So okay, but I want to always be convenience is my thing so i love the convenience of airbnb it's Mm -hmm. not um i can i can live in any part of town i want i can live right near all the places i want so uh this is what i call airbnb car i arrive at the airport instead of going all the way to the rental car place or all or finding there's no zip cars in an airport how can i have just the airbnb person pick me up and take me to my airbnb
0: that may happen that it's a great suggestion we're not there yet Okay. In, in major markets, that's a great idea, as is the idea, which I don't think you have on here, of having an Airbnb embassy. I mean, if you're going, let's say you're an Airbnb, you know, in, in London at any one time, we may have 20,000 guests staying in an Airbnb listing. Wouldn't it be nice if they could go to some embassy where, you know, they could go get coffee and maybe a drink and hear a jazz band? And have their problem solved if they have a problem with their, um, with their home that they're staying yeah. in. Um, right. we, we don't have that yet, but that's uh, a long term thing we'd like to have.
1: Okay. Um, this one you've kind of implemented since I wrote this article, which is a review checklist. So, uh, based on, so rather than me offending the uh, host, there's just a checklist one to five on each item. And you've right. kind of implemented that. Um, Airbnb miles. So <laughs> I'm a pro user. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I want to build, rack up miles. So so this this avoids the tendency to create um, black market economies within right. the Airbnb right. ecosystem because I don't want to lose my miles. So I rather than making private deals with hosts, you you make sure everything stays within the system by having incentives.
0: Uh, you know I'm a hotelier in the hotel. The travel industry is built on this kind of model. So I, 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 a true believer in what you're saying and um. It'll happen. Uh, I, more than anything, so you can become a super guest. We have super hosts in the system. So the super hosts are the, the hosts who, who have the highest scores and they're the 8% best hosts. We should have a super guest system so that our system can, uh, so our CX agents can recognize those guests who are long-time guests if they have a problem. How do you solve their problem faster? So that as well as getting Potentially some financial uh, recognition. It makes sense.
1: I will tell you. Um, one time, uh, I had stayed in nonstop Airbnbs all over the world for an extended period of time. I had a, a disaster happen to me, and I was. Moving, I hadn't yet booked my new Airbnb, and I was at the last day. Somebody at Airbnb just called around to hosts. And fa- until a- all of them were busy. He found one that was available, and he found me a place at the last minute. So yeah. you guys are Yay. Are, are, Yay. are on top of it. Um, uh, I did an Airbnb plus warbits, but uh, I don't know what that means. Let me see. Um, eh, skip that one. Airbnb concierge. So I'm arriving at Airbnb at 10 p.m. I want my refrigerator stocked with my usual things. Right. I want my kid to have right. her usual games or her shows on Netflix or whatever. I don't know. So Uh, what
0: you're describing is Airbnb Luxe or in some form. And I can't announce anything yet, but I can say that we take into account your feedback. And there is something that we will be announcing in the next few months that will speak to the idea of um, a... um, a more upscale uh, Airbnb experience because it, the concierge idea can work, but it only can work at a certain price point because right. it, it has it requires a lot of human um, support. Um, so yes, uh, for a certain level of customer in terms of both uh, regular customer who is at a certain level of kind of the work they're doing, they'll they'll have that available to them.
1: Uh, and then um, Airbnb real estate, so. I want to be able to I don't want to rent ever right. again I don't want to have five letters of reference pay two months security deposit pay a real estate agent 17% I don't want any of that That's like seems to me uh, horse versus car yeah. where everybody is the car so so how, when, when can I just book a place for
0: a year? So we have been working with and talking to companies like Realtor.com Trulia etc. about how do we merge ourselves a little bit better because there's a
1: not an actual financial Not a mer- merger.
0: Yeah, thank you. Good, mm-hmm. good for you. Right. Yeah, there's because no financial merger. protecting there. Yeah, okay. exactly. So it's more like how do we recognize that Airbnb has has shown pretty quickly that we are the dominant uh, hospitality player in the world for a month to three months. Um, Trulia and Builder.com and, and those kind of folks, um, Zillow are generally a month to a year. So there's some there's some crossover and there's some ability for us to share at least initially, some, some customers. But I think over time, yes, I think you're going to see more and more of Airbnb moving into the business of saying you want to stay on a monthly basis. You want to understand what kind of services come with a monthly rental. Um, we would have a a whole category of opportunity or places to stay that fit that profile.
1: Uh, Airbnb calendar. So I, uh, we're going to New Orleans in October. I put it in my calendar. Bam, all the places that I, Airbnb recognizes I would normally stay at show up yeah. uh, for me well, right the, there.
0: The more we personalize, and and we are actually finally to the point where we have machine, machine learning, so artificial intelligence being able to help us understand based upon your choices and even your reviews that you've given, we have a sense of what you like. Then we can deliver to you, here are the places that fit you in a customized kind of way, um, as, as well as what you might want to do while you're there, which is something we'll be introducing in a more significant way next year.
1: So so when you're in the, in the hotel business and you had the five adjectives per hotel, which I think is really brilliant. I've never heard it that way for for any business. That seems like to apply to any business. Mm-hmm. How have you seen it? How have you been able to apply that philosophy now in your new... So you've reinvented yourself into this Airbnb role, but how have you taken your old ideas, which were brilliant, into, into Airbnb? So and clearly I, it's worked. Like, look, here, where we're staying right now.
0: I, I have given... I've gone to 27 cities around the world uh, globally, met with hosts in those cities, as well as done webinars, so anybody in the world, no matter what city you're in, could, could listen to me, and literally have talked about the five adjectives idea, which is the following. I said, okay, uh, earlier we talked about the boutique hotel is based upon a magazine in five words. What if your listing was based upon a magazine in five words? What would be the five adjectives that would define this place? And how are you showing that using the five senses? So a, a Mm -hmm. a host who gets it really right, like a super, super host, is one who knows not only what are the adjectives that define their place, and they, they write their listing with those adjectives in mind. But when you walk in here, if your place says it's natural and nurturing, maybe there is some Enya music playing, so that's the sound, that's your hearing. Maybe there is an aromatherapy candle uh, as you walk in so that you smell that. Maybe there is visually, maybe there's a, a, a basket of apples on the counter, So, if you can actually address the five senses based upon the five adjectives that define your place within the first five minutes, you are golden. And that is true of boutique hotels as well as Airbnb hosts.
1: And I want to, I always try to visualize like, let's say I'm a listener and I'm sitting in my cubicle listening to these guys talking, and I'm thinking to myself, well, A, I'm unhappy working in this cubicle, B, I have a bunch of kids, so it's not like I'm moving around from Airbnb to Airbnb. What's relevant to me here? And this idea of, you know, you obviously want some change in your life. What are the five adjectives you can use to define you? And then, and then um, the five senses you could, you can use to implement these adjectives. Does that sound like it's, like, let's say you're sitting in a cubicle and you're trying to figure out what to do.
0: Well I actually yeah I probably wouldn't I probably wouldn't go to the five senses and the five adjectives I I, I think once I've figured out where I want to go I maybe I might that might help me to decide where's the habitat that's right for me but I think if I'm sitting in a cubicle not enjoying my job remember let's remember that you have a job a career or a calling and it's sort of a pyramid shape and the jobs on the base of the pyramid and then you got career and then at the top of the pyramid is calling the first thing you have to do is figure out what it is that's going to create the calling and then where's the what's the difference between the career and the calling um, a, I, I think job and career are, are functional and they're um, uh, extrinsic needs. So you're, you're literally in a bartering relationship or a financial mm-hmm. relationship with what you're doing. Um, when you are living a calling, you are more um, motivated by your intrinsic needs, something inside of you. That's actually drawing you to do that. And you actually are more likely to have peak experiences, which means you actually lose track of time. When you have a career, it's quite often something that's very uh, left brain, very rational, very pragmatic, and there's a path. When you're doing something that's intrinsic to uh, who you are or what you aspire the world to be, you're doing it as a calling, and, and therefore it's not actually all, it's not always pragmatic. I mean,
1: clearly you have found. In fact, your-
0: I think you're. You're. If you look at your career path, you have had some careers and moments, and you've had calling moments. Yes, you've probably had some job moments, and you know what I think is beautiful about your life as a um, poster child, a role model for others, is you aspiring to being in a calling, and having to have flameout moments along the way in your jobs that actually kept bringing you back hmm. to where you are today.
1: Hmm. So without those flame mounts I couldn't have found a You
0: might have suffocated in a cubicle. Hmm.
1: So so clearly you have found your calling. You're in the hospitality industry forever. <laughs> like from know, hotels yeah, to the yeah, to the future. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think is the next industry that might kind of fall in the path of Airbnb and Uber?
0: I think you know. So I think Uber and Airbnb are very different companies. They're they're both they're the two leading sharing economy companies or access economy companies in terms of giving you access to things without having to own them. Um, but they're a logistics company. Uber is, and we are probably an ex- more experiential. And so I think that the number one thing that we're interested in and fascinated by is how you spend your time. So you go to a place traveling, and then you're on your own. And for a lot of people, they go through mass. They go. They do mass tourism as their way to solve that. Meaning, they go and sit on a big bus with the open skyline, and they they listen to some person drone on and on about you know that city. Um, Or they in San Francisco go to Fisherman's Wharf, and here in New York they go to South Street Seaport. Or the idea that you could go up to Harlem and do a jazz nightclub um, walk around in an evening for three hours and have a meal with some sassy uh, Harlem woman who has lived there her whole life, and she gives you the opportunity to experience some little um, uh, place in an alley in a basement. That's great. That is the opportunity that I think the world is looking for, and yet there has no one has really done this and properly.
1: You should do like Airbnb adventure. So like, you know, guy or gal gets in an Airbnb and they get a phone call. Okay, show up at this like back alley in Queens at 8 p.m. And then we're gonna go, you know, all through all of this whole adventure, this secret like back alley, speakeasy sort of place, and all these things happen. Should have like experiences.
0: No comment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Chip Conley, I can't believe you're staying at the Airbnb right below this yeah. one. It's good to meet you and thanks for yeah. coming on the podcast.
0: What what an honor and what beautiful serendipity.
1: Oh, and I should tell people go to Airbnb Open. AirbnbOpen.com.
0: Yeah, James is going to just be committed to joining us in uh, downtown LA, November 17th through the 19th. You can come as well. AirbnbOpen.com. Excellent. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network
1: at jamesaltature.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Hey, thanks for listening. Listen. I have a big favor to ask you, and it will only take 30 seconds or less, and it would mean a huge amount to me. If you like this podcast, please let me know. Please let the team I work with know. Please let my guests know, and you can do this easily by subscribing to the podcast. It's probably the biggest favor you could do for me right now, and it's really simple. Just go to iTunes, search for The James Altucher Show, and click subscribe. Again, it will only take you 30 seconds or less. And if you subscribe now, it will really help me out a lot. Thanks again. When you visit a state as big and diverse as Texas, there are a million different trips you can take. Let's say you've got an appetite for whitewater kayaking. You can get your own, so this is why they call it Devil's River, trip to Texas. Or maybe you have an actual appetite. I'll take a pound of brisket, six ribs, uh, three links of sausage, and a piece of pecan pie. Trip to Texas. Go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters, yours.